Hello, hello everyone. 2022 is here and we are back and better than ever. On behalf of the whole Mediavine team, we're hoping that you had an amazing and safe holiday season and a great start to the new year. I'm Mediavine Senior Director of Marketing and host of Mediavine On Air, Jenny Guy. In 2021, we had an array of amazing episodes to share with you and in 2022, it's no different. Actually, today's episode is a little different as we have a very special guest. Paul Bacowis is the head of creator relations at Google, where he and his team are helping content creators, designers, and developers to create better, faster, more immersive, and more convincing digital content. We interviewed Paul last month on Teal Talk to talk about where to start with Google's plethora of resources for content creators, and he sure didn't disappoint from what he was saying to his amazing ugly winter sweater, which you'll have to check out in the live episode. He covered content building, content planning, web stories, and more, and offered a lot of amazing advice to kick off the new year. We even spent time discussing the very real problem of creator burnout and his words were inspirational music to our ears. As always, if you liked today's episode, make sure to subscribe to hear more amazing interviews in 2022. Now let's get to Paul. You're listening to Media Vine On Air, the podcast about the business of content creation from SEO to ads and social media to time management. If it's about helping content creators build sustainable businesses, we are talking about it here. I'm your on-air host, Mediavine's Jenny Guy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teal Talk and happy holidays to one and all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Believe it or not, we've reached our final episode of 2021, and I have been fortunate enough to be with you for every single one of them. I'm your host for this magical hour, Media Vines Jenny Guy, and today we've got ugly sweaters, although in the case of my guest, I wouldn't call it ugly so much as just fascinating and amazing, but more on that later. We have great prizes, and we have another incredible guest that is generously sharing their wealth of essential knowledge for content creators. And speaking of a wealth of essential knowledge for content creators, have you heard of Google? Maybe, possibly once or twice in your life. They have a plethora of resources for us that, frankly, it can be tough to know where to begin, where to jump in, uh, where to tackle all of it. Not to worry, though, that is where my next guest comes in. Please welcome Paul Bacaus to Teal Talk. Paul, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm going to not be mesmerized by your sweater, and I'm going to read your very impressive bio. One moment, please. <laughs> Paul Bacaus is an entrepreneur, creator advocate, developer, and product manager. As the head of creator relations at Google, he and his team are helping content creators, designers, developers, and decision makers to create better, faster, more immersive, and more convincing digital content. Prior to joining Google, he created jQuery UI, the world's most popular tool to build user interfaces on the web, and the Aves engine, the first interactive HTML5 game engine later acquired by Zynga. That is quite impressive. Again, Paul, welcome. Thank you for coming to Teal Talk. We're so glad to have you. It's great to be here. Um, we're so excited to talk about all the different things. I'm going to give through a couple of announcements. Also, one of our um, audience members just asked if it was a TP on my head. It is not. It's it's a, it's like a stocking hat, but it's very it's like it's like a rigid stocking hat. So I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of movement happening there. Okay. So reminder, audience, you guys submitted so many questions in advance for Paul that we are not going to be taking questions live. We have a lot to talk about, but if you do have questions for Paul, keep posting them and we can maybe entice him back for another yeah. episode. So we're just saying that. My best. Thank you, Paul. We appreciate it. Okay. And everyone else, keep your eyes on the screen for chances to win prizes during the episode today. 
But without any further ado, let us get into it. Google, as you, I saw you nodding when I was talking about this in the intro, Paul, that you have an incredible vast array of resources for content creators. And as we said, as I said in the intro, it can be overwhelming. So where would you recommend we get started? Yeah, I guess we, you know, in some ways we made it more overwhelming because we added another one. But to be honest, uh, I would say the, the resource that we have today, right? So we have, I would say everything that the uh, Chrome DevRel team outputs. So these are overly technical resources though. So if you're a content creator and you're not overly technical, that might not be what you're looking for. And then we have the output of John Muller's team who you had uh, on another episode, of course. Mm -hmm. And they're creating a lot of great educational content on Search Central, uh, which is where we put all of our SEO guidance. That's great if you're working with Google Search and it's great. Uh, but again, these resources are sometimes quite technical. They really depend on you already having a technical background. And so we actually, I, I don't know if you're familiar with resources that I don't know, but as far as I know, we never had resources for non-technical content creators. And so we created this new pro program called Google for Creators that actually brings new resources to market for those that need help in all sorts of areas, whether that's like pricing your brand deals or you know how do you create a good content bundle or how do you create timely content? How do you not burn out, right? There's a, a whole treasure trove of content that we want to create that help creators become more sustainable, more successful in the long run. And so we, you can find us on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we have, a, we just launched a new website called creators.google. Um, so please check it out and sign in and personalize your learning experience. And there's going to be more content coming to that site soon. But yeah, we're, we're trying our best to make ourselves useful to content creators in ways that we haven't done before. And we love hearing that. When did you, when did Google first unveil this and what was the impetus behind it? Yeah. So we unveiled it last year in, I think it was September, October. But initially, the whole thing was called Google Web Creators. Uh, we have since expanded scope to also help creators that don't primarily have the web as, as its center. Because it turns out most people don't call themselves web creators. They just call themselves creators or bloggers. And so uh, we removed the web, which shifted it to Google for Creators. Last year, we largely launched with the social channels and with a section of the official Google blog. And the website, for instance, is brand new. The website we launched, I think, two months ago. Um, so still really fresh in the whole journey, I would say. And uh, and overall, this team is a new team. So or this effort is a new effort, at least. We haven't we haven't done this in a long time. To be honest, we probably should have done it 15 years ago, right? I mean, I, I, I you would imagine that you know the content creators that are really the bread and butter for Google should have and better support networks uh, and better educational channels coming from Google. Um, but we never really thought uh, that that was our role to play because we figured, look, the web is, of course, not ours. Um, the web is already there. It's an open ecosystem. And we estimated when we created our products that there would always be great content on the web and that it would just magically appear out of nowhere. <laughs> well, it turns <laughs> out that's not necessarily the case, right? You do need to educate creators. You do need to help them. You do need to offer support and we want to be good citizens and good stewards of the web and and leave it better than we we found it basically so that's why we're doing it now much too late but uh hopefully not too late well first just it's so refreshing to to hear anyone from really anywhere say out loud we should have done something and we didn't and now and we appreciate you saying that um whether we agree or not it's just like i said very refreshing to hear 
And two, I think that content creators, we want to know what Google wants. And I, because essentially performance in terms of SEO or in terms of finding an audience, all of that comes from Google. So hearing from Google what, you, what you're looking for and how to create content that, that will perform well for you. But then in turn, it's cyclical because content that performs well on Google is content that are, is good for your audience. That's all of the metrics that you come out with are meant to improve and enhance the experience for people on the web. So love hearing yeah. all of that and the way that it goes around. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the current trends uh, in content creation overall, you're seeing a lot of it shifting towards more visual content. Most new platforms, most world gardens focus heavily on visual content. And that shift, I think there's a lot of inertia on the open web, right? So that shift mm -hmm. hasn't really happened on the web yet. Um, there's a lot of text content and you know a lot of it is technical nature too for instance putting a video onto your self-hosted wordpress site is a whole world of pain right and there's a reason why youtube exists and why youtube is popular right um, and i'm not recommending anyone to put a video like a long video on their own site i mean you probably upload it to youtube then uh, or vimeo or whatever right i mean but but really there's a reason why those services exist that being said i do think we need to shift more of the content creation to make it richer, to make it more visually appealing. And that trend will probably continue. And so uh, our team, of course, has produced web stories for this, uh, but we will keep iterating on this. We will uh, try to find new ways to do this. And hopefully the whole web will keep iterating. I think one of, the, one of my pet peeves is that I've been in several developer relations teams over the years. And in the past 10 years or so, I would say much of our focus when it comes to advancing the web as a community uh, on the technical side was towards e-commerce and applications. You know, like everyone was interested, yeah. interested to bring Photoshop to the web. And don't get me wrong, it's great that we have Photoshop on the web. But I do think that we could have spent more attention on innovating and blogging, right? And, and making content more rich uh, in, the, in the same amount of time. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, but personally, I... I am a little sad that, you know, 10 years ago, so we saw this wave of art-directed blogging. Do you remember, remember that, right? Yes. With The Verge and others creating these really fancy articles. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, can we have more of that? Can we make this easier to do for everyone? Can we like, and then nothing came. <laughs> and, and it just stopped, you know? And, and, uh, and, and I haven't seen really big content innovations on the web uh, in, a, in a long time. And it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit sad. So back to your question, I do think that we need to get towards more visual, visually appealing content. Um, I also think we need to bring community and engagement back to websites. I think for many bloggers, comments are kind of dead and uh, that's really unfortunate, right? So the indie web movement is trying to bring some of that back, but I think we need to turn it into real products that bloggers want to use. And then also one thing that I'm particularly concerned about is uh, what I call the generational divide on the web where, um, and I, I often call this, I often try to compare this with cable TV, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that cable TV is going away. It's still there, right? There's still a lot of people subscribing to cable TV. There's no one in Gen Z that subscribes to cable TV, right? I mean, that ship has sailed. I do fear that the content web is turning into cable. And I do fear that maybe not everyone is seeing it. So it's sort of this boiling frog that doesn't realize that, the, that it's boiling. And, and I'm very concerned, and I would say uh, Google's also concerned, that uh, new generations are simply skipping the web altogether and uh, not using it for content consumption. 
And I think that's something that we all have to think about and face, right? Uh, if we don't create the content that Gen Z wants to consume, then Gen Z will simply not use the web. And so uh, for every blogger that listening to this is listening to this, right? Think about what your core audience is, but also how to expand it going forward and how to bring fresh audiences in. Absolutely. I, I completely, we, we have been at Mediavine, we have been pushing video, 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 video. And it's not just because it's what advertisers want. Obviously that's part of it, but it's part because it's what audiences want. It's a way to, and that I think is a great way to bridge the gap and connect with people who are loving TikTok and the different forms out there that how, how can we bring that style of storytelling to, to blogs? I think it's, it's, it's a great question and very important. You have already talked about this some, but I, I wanted to expand. Sylvia with Wapiti Travel wanted to know what is the Google for, for Creators platform and how can it help us? And you've talked a little yeah. bit about that, but where can people start? Yeah, so basically we want to create a program that helps content creators succeed on the web. And in this case, in particular, non-technical content creators. There, there are tons of resources out there to help developers. This is not mm -hmm. a program that is primarily aimed at developers, it's aimed at creators. And uh, what does that mean? Well, it means that we want them to succeed either um, creating content on the web, becoming a blogger, right? And I think the ideal path here is to, either you're already a blogger, uh, what does that mean then? Well, we want to help you, uh, as I just pointed out, uh, reinvent yourself uh, to uh, make sure that your content is still relevant, right? And that you still get traffic uh, from new generations, from new traffic sources, et cetera and that you live a sustainable life. And so we want to help you maintain this cadence and, uh, and this profession. And then we want to bring new creators in. My, my stereotype here is the burned out uh, short video creator that is creating three videos each day uh, about something educational, not realizing that maybe a blog would be better. You know, and, and I've, I've met a lot of these people actually. I've met a lot of uh, young people starting out as a content creator not realizing that blogging is still a viable career. And so we've also think that's part of our educational mission to teach creators that uh, blogging is not dead and that it can be a very viable career. And so that's the other thing. So one, one part is education to new creators. One part is education to existing creators. Education in the broad sense, to be honest, right now we're just trying to make ourselves useful in any way we can. We're kind of trying to be the Fred Rogers of the creator economy or the, you know, Switzerland of the creator economy because Google and you know you might laugh at this because you probably think so much about like oh Google overlord SEO whatever right but I think we are still probably more impartial than some of the more walled gardens and the reason why is because we're the only fortune 500 company that is monetizing the open web to its full extent right and so um, if you look at all the other companies out there they all have their walled gardens. They all have their vertically integrated, plat vertically integrated platforms, but they care about sucking you into their platform. Yep. We, we built products for the open web uh, and Google in many ways is an aggregator and not a platform, but we are sending traffic to content. I like that because that means that if I, if I convince somebody to create a website and they don't use Google Analytics and they don't use AdSense or whatever, right? I mean, of course I want them to, but even if they don't, even if they use competing services, we still win because that creates new content for the open web corpus that Google search benefits from, that our advertisers then benefit from. And so that helps, helps everyone. And I think that's really good. So this was a long-winded way, long way to say, to answer the question, but really our programs are here to make ourselves 
useful to all creators uh, on the web and um, in all sorts of categories. So if you look at our YouTube channel, we have a series about uh, sustainability and burnout. Um, and uh, for instance, you have topics like how to deal with haters. Um, we have a series around monetization. So there's, um, we're still in figuring out every day, how can we make ourselves more useful? So um, if you check out our resources and please do, and you feel like, okay, actually this is information that I would like to have from Google that nobody really has talked about, please, please let me know. Um, one thing that I will say is that the number one thing that of course everyone asks for is SEO guidance. <laughs> Um, because they think Google, yeah, of course, like, I just want to rank better. That's an area that we haven't focused on so much so far, simply because John Muller's team is already doing a lot of this. That being right. said, we are thinking about ways to create new SEO guidance that is less technical and that is more beginner friendly. I think there's certainly a need for that and uh, stay tuned for more on that one. Uh, I think that that will be music to everyone's ears. What I was going to say is it was a beautiful answer and it included your phrase, Google overlord, SEO, whatever, which is now the new title for your, your garage band, um, which is very <laughs> exciting. But the audience that we're talking to now, first, yes, let's get some Gen Zs investing in blogs, investing in content creation and off of social media as their only form. Totally agree. Getting them to, because I think that's a big part of the answer to having them invested and wanting to be a part of it is seeing themselves reflected on the, uh, on the open web, as you said. Two, the audience that you're talking to today are all people that have been content creating for quite some time or you know, various different links, but these are all website owners for the most part. So what I would like is unsolicited from Paul, I would love if some of our, our bloggers that are watching would post in the comments what they're interested in seeing on that Google for creators platform. So let's do that. And then in a pause, you might've seen a moment ago that we posted uh, a little ticker at the bottom of the screen that said, what is your favorite holiday movie? And Jordan Smith responded and he was quick on the draw and he said, Elf, which is a great, great choice, which makes him our winner for our first giveaway. So Jordan, please send us an email to marketing at mediavine.com and we will um, send us with your um, your email address and all that. And that will we will be able to give you your prize. But moving forward, everybody post in the comments what you wanna see on that Google for creators platform. In the meantime, yes, we are starting to see the questions roll in and they are about the thing that we knew what they would be about, which are web stories. Paul, we, we are ready to, we have a whole section for this. So let's talk about it. Are there niches that see better performance than others with web stories? And do you have advice for someone who's maybe been creating them consistently and not seeing traffic increases? Yes, so there are some niches and we, we actually published a blog post about this a couple months ago. The first one that I would say is, uh, uh, yeah, by, by far the one that gets the biggest engagement is lifestyle content. Any lifestyle content with uh, aspiration. Mediavine bloggers are lifestyle bloggers. What do you know? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that gets a lot of uh, engagement. And I would say if you do that, then continue to do it. So for instance, that includes things like how to info, right? Uh, relevant product partnership opportunities. And so uh, that really fits the the story format really well, right? Uh, then I would say right after that, the one with the most online impressions. So, so lifestyle is the one with the most engagement. The one with the most impressions is art and entertainment. So art and entertainment, you know, if you if you blog about the latest, latest Marvel movies, for instance, right, that will probably uh, give you a lot of eyeballs. 
you know, you're trading impressions versus engagement. Both of them are obviously important, but, uh, but yeah, maybe you need to do like a Marvel lifestyle, uh, stories. I don't know, but, <laughs> uh, you combine the two and you win. Uh, but art and entertainment is the other very, very big one. Now, I don't only find interesting the ones that are doing really well because it doesn't tell you about the saturation of that vertical, right? You could be, you could be thinking now, okay, I'm just going to also do an entertainment uh, web story and hopefully it's going to do super, super well. But if a thousand others will do that, um, you just have a small part of the slice uh, of the pie, I guess, right? And so I find it interesting to look at where the gaps are, right? And so um, where are the biggest supply demand gaps? And we analyzed this a while back and we found out that, well, actually art and entertainment, there's still a supply demand gap. So definitely create more of those stories, celebrity and sports and gaming content. With new TV and movie and game releases rolling out all the time, these verticals really offer a lot of potential for growth. That is very interesting to hear. Okay, so we have a question from Johnny Field. She's Pastry Chef Online. So what are your current best practices for web stories? And her, her follow-up question, should we house them on a page on our site or not? Well, I'm going to answer the, the second question first because... Perfect. Yes, that's a very easy answer. Yes, easy. you should have them on a page uh, for yes. a multitude of reasons. The first reason is that having them on a page somewhere or linked to somewhere on your own website means that you know, the potential for crawling and indexing is much higher, right? The retrieval is going to be much easier for Google. Of course, you can also submit your sitemap directly to submit those web stories, but linking them anywhere on your site will definitely improve your chances. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that I don't think it's very smart to rely only on, let's say, discover or search traffic. I think yeah, ideally, if you want to create web stories, you also create them to improve your, what we call O and O experience, um, your website experience itself, right? Ideally, you want these website, uh, web stories to improve, improve your site itself. I think it makes a lot of sense to, to link them. Now, I, I understand that that's not always a very easy decision when it comes to, let's say, monetization, right? So um, if your web stories compete with, let's say, your existing blog post and that blog post has much more aggressive monetization that is doing really well, you know, there's a trade-off to be made. Um, but sometimes also you can think of a web story as an embed, um, like a YouTube video in an existing blog post. So I've seen this pattern work really well where you, we actually have a thing called story embed player or something along those lines. For instance, if you use the WordPress plugin, you can easily embed stories into your, into your blog posts and they become secondary content uh, that just improves the overall blog post. And that's a good pattern and it doesn't really eat away. It doesn't really cannibalize your your monetization on your website. So that might be a nice thing to think about. And actually a follow-up question to that is, is Harry with Blend with Spices wants to know, can you create multiple web stories for the same blog post or recipe? And if that is okay, what are the things we should consider when multiple web stories are linking to the same URL? Yeah, totally, absolutely do that. The only thing that I would avoid is really duplicating the content, right? So um, the same way that, you know, having a duplicated blog post would raise some flags. Um, you don't want to just paste the paragraphs directly into the web story uh, that you had on your blog post. So, but then very oftentimes you have, I don't know, like a 5,000 word blog post. Of course, you can't pack all of that into a single story. I mean, you could, but then it will be a 500 page long story and nobody's going to read that. So absolutely isolate some of the talking points in your blog post and then turn them into expressive visual stories. 
I mean, you also have to keep in mind that somebody who's reading a story or consuming a story is in a different mindset, different state of mind than somebody who's reading a 5,000 word blog post, right? They are probably in some train station trying to consume something really quickly. They're not going to read your 5,000 word blog post in that train station. Um, so yeah, make them bite-sized as much as possible. And then absolutely, uh, if you have a long blog post, create multiple. That's great to hear. Okay, so I wanted to, this is a little off script. Well, first I'm gonna announce our winner of the second prize before I jump into this. Jen Powell, we asked, what is your favorite holiday song? She said, um, White Christmas, which is a beautiful song. I do love it. And she is the winner of that giveaway. Keep your eyes peeled. We got some great ones. We got Santa Baby, we got Jingle Bells. We got all sorts of uh, great songs for your playlist, your holiday playlist. So check those out. In the meantime, Paul, you were talking about making them bite-sized. Can you give us some additional insight on what performs really well within those? If it's if it's more uh, you know, music, what type of titles? How how long are you letting the slides stay up? All how many slides per story are the most successful? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm trying trying to do this off the top of my head. Um, so I hope I hope these answers are correct. But I think we we saw that above uh, twelve story pages. Uh, you see diminishing returns, okay. which means that ideally keep your stories below 12 pages or, you know, not much more than 20. It depends on the type of the story, though. So, you know, you can make a story more engaging the same way that, you know, you can make a YouTube video that is 30 minutes long engaging if you if you do it the right way. Right. So this is not a hard and fast rule. But overall, I would say the average is about 12 pages. Other than that, I would say the, the stories that don't do well are the ones that are really text heavy. And so make sure that you use uh, a lot of high quality imagery, ideally moving images. Um, we see a lot of, and I know this might not be easy because you might not have the same amount of stock footage available in video as opposed to images. But if you can add video to your stories, add effects to your stories, don't make them repeat too often, but really make them visually interesting. Yeah, if it's if it's just looking like a static slideshow of of paragraphs, um, it's not going to be super exciting to audiences. And we have measured that and we have confirmed it. Yeah, I don't know. This is probably not the most detailed advice, but uh, I would definitely helpful. Yeah, I would definitely say that. And then the other thing is try to experiment with the features that are unique to stories. For instance, one of the things that stories can have that web stories can have that other types of stories cannot have is you know really powerful CTAs, right? So you can add links in areas where, you know, on competitor stories, you cannot. And so make sure you use those features uh, to your advantage. Love a strong CTA and the ability to give one of those can't be that. So yeah. Claire with the Ladybirds Adventures asks, will web stories be rolled out to the UK? Yeah, I get these questions all the time and I wish I had a better answer to them. Um, I don't know. And I, okay. I think the, the aspiration, first of all, I don't know when. Okay, let me let me clarify. Right, uh, I think it's it's not uh, if, but it's a when uh, question. Uh, yes, they will be rolled out in the UK and probably worldwide. But I think it really depends on a bunch of different factors, like how many stories do we see on a weekly basis published in that country to really ensure that users have a great experience on, let's say, Google Discover in the in the carousel. Um, because if let's say if there are five creators. Not saying that's the only uh, we have, but just as an example, let's say there's five creators in a country and that are creating stories. That's awesome. But then if we just unlock the carousel, uh, the carousel will have the same five creators every week. <laughs> and that would be really sad. 
So it really depends. Yeah, a on... tiny carousel, just a little tiny. Yeah, to get yeah. On it. But it really it, it is a supply supply demand problem, right? So the more supply, the 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 sooner we can launch stories in more countries. Um, sadly, don't have anything to announce right now. That's okay. We understand that. Okay, so we've had some people saying that when this, their story went vir viral, the majority of the traffic came from India. Is there any way to target specific areas with the web stories? Unfortunately, not. Not that I know of. No, uh, geofencing, as we call it, is unfortunately not a feature that you can add to your stories, simply because they're published on your own website. And then on search and on Google, generally, um, we also don't have a feature to geofence search results. Unfortunately, not an option. Okay, thank you. All right, Chrissy from Holiday Hoopla asks, when creating web stories, how unique do they need to be from other non-story content on my site? I've had trouble getting some of my stories to index and from the available support, this seems to imply that Google thinks the content is a duplicate or Google is assuming I don't want the content, content indexed. It doesn't happen with every story, only a few. Yeah, I think I went into this a little bit before, um, mm -hmm. but we recommend not copy pasting content directly from your blog post. I mean, at least not multiple right. senses to your story because then it could trigger duplicates. That's usually, I mean, I haven't seen this to be a big problem with those that really just take the, the, the topic of a, of a blog post and reuse some images, you know, reuse some talking points. Um, if that's the case uh, and you still get duplicate flags, then it would definitely be interesting to hear from you because that's not supposed to be the case. We have been recommending people to, uh, to turn their blog posts into their stories and and if that doesn't work for you, that's something we have to fix. That's actually a, a great follow-up, a segue into this question from Sarah from Major Hoff Takes a Wife. Is there a person to contact with issues with web stories or questions? Um, yeah, there is. Um, I would say we have our general handle, actually, uh, webcreators at google.com. I don't know if uh, uh, this is probably not very well known, but yes, there's a Google email address you can reach us at. <laughs> that isn't. I, that's that is. I, I didn't know that. Good yeah, know. and I, I think... Uh, I think uh, you often hear how like a lot of people have trouble contacting Google. Well, there you go. Um, there's an email address right there. We're gonna there's post an email it in the address. comments. We're gonna yeah. put it on our handout. You've got it, guys. Yeah, and and I can guarantee that I see those emails uh, and my team sees those emails. So this is not going to some third-party vendor. Um, and we are looking at uh, we might not be able to reply to every email, but at least with the emails that talk about web stories, we will forward them to the right teams. And oftentimes we do get back and we look at the, the issues that are happening. We do, of course, we can't help every individual content creator unblock their SEO problems because we have to do it for everyone at the same time. We can't just do one-off solutions. Uh, but anyway, please send us your feedback. Please send us what's going wrong because it helps us understand, is this an issue that just you have? And maybe it's just uh, isolated to your blog or it is, it is an issue that everyone has and we have to look at it more closely. We appreciate that a lot. And I've, again, that's phenomenal to know that that is a thing that exists. Um, so Jordan with Jordo's World asks, I've been making web stories for about nine months now and notice they get a ton of traffic, which is exciting and over half the battle. Congratulations, Jordan. However, I've been watching my web story income closely with the Mediavine team and realized that because of the ad placement and how many people don't make it to the part in the web story where the ad is located, the viewability is actually really low. I realized the low number was dropping my overall viewability to less than 70%. All of this to say, do you have any solutions moving forward with this? Is there a solution for people experiencing this? I'd love to have about 
over 70% viewability and keep web, web story ads for the best of both worlds. And before I unleash Paul on that one, I wanted to say that we talked about this one before we started and the viewability, um, that's more of a Mediavine ad issue. But what I wanted to do this to segue into was talking about overall monetization for web stories. And I know that Paul has some things he can offer for that. So Paul. Yeah. Uh, so I, I probably can't talk too much about the ad stuff. Um, I think this is probably more your expertise. Um, and then I have some product managers uh, on the Google side that will be a better fit to talk about it. Um, I do know that we uh, we often get requests for being able to change like the auto ad placement, for instance, and space it out more uh, or, or do stuff like that. So um, I do know that the team is very aware of uh, the shortcomings and we are iterating, which I know is a little bit of a non-answer, but I just wanted to to do it anyway. No, they're new. I um, mean, how long have yeah. how long have web stories been out there? When you guys first when they first came out, there was no way to monetize them, and now we're yeah. already moving forward in a new direction. So that's the way things happen. And it turns out that creating a, or moving an ad ecosystem is surprisingly slow. There's a lot of inertia well, on the web. Like yeah, yeah. Um, but but yes, we're trying hard. That being said, I think you definitely need to look at the other ways to monetization monetize stories as well. And I think one of the most interesting ways of monetizing stories is shoppable content. So affiliate links in particular, right? But not, not just random affiliate links, but uh, as I mentioned, lifestyle is doing really well, right? And a lot of, you see a lot of products out there in the markets that essentially have shop the look functionality. And you can create that very easily in a web story, right? You, you post a picture of you wearing something, you put a link there, and that's it. You put an affiliate link to some, some product that you're trying to sell. And affiliate links, as you might know, are forbidden in many places where you can post these links. Uh, and they're not forbidden on stories. So I would really encourage you to try out uh, monetizing with links uh, because I think it could be an amazing income source. That yeah. is a great, a great, and, and we are all about multiple revenue streams. So utilize as many as you can. So we're going to pivot a little bit to discover and general content creation. I want to start with, with just a basic, which is what is Google Discover? Can you tell us in your own words, please? Yes. So Google Discover is uh, Google's feed of content that you can access either in the uh, Google app for Android or iOS. Or if you are using Android, there is the, uh, there's a screen that, that arrives when you swipe to the right that's right you swipe to the right um and you get this um negative one screen in some ways right uh, and it includes your feed of content that we think you might be interested in and so the big difference is that google of course is intentful you need to start with a query with some question that you seed it with and then you arrive at the results google discover doesn't have that so it's queryless discovery of content the big difference between google discover and other content platforms and algorithmic feeds is that it's all web content. So all of that is, again, it's an, it's an aggregator. It's bringing content back to the web and to your websites and links and users to your websites. And uh, the irony here, I guess that's the elephant in the room, is that it's called Google Discover. And a lot of you have not discovered it yet. So we're not <laughs> doing a very great job at promoting it, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but it does have more than a billion users. So uh, it's not a small product by any means. And it's really great to uh, to take a look at it more closely, I would say, if you haven't taken a look at it yet. Um, so what you're, so yeah. what you're saying to all these content creators that are watching is that there are people there. 
you need to be there doing something for those people. There's an audience yes. waiting for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and that's also, of course, where web stories are the most prominent. So if you go to Google Discover, unfortunately not in the UK yet, as we just figured out, right? But if you're in the US, in India, or in Brazil, you'll see a pretty fancy uh, web story carousel in Discover that highlights the cover, the poster images of stories in a really interesting visual way. So if if we just had some of some, one of our audience members, we have the most hilarious audience on earth said, welcome to Google Undiscovered. So, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah. maybe it's a new title. We're workshopping here. How, how do, so to find Google Discover as a user, you need to, if you're on your phone, you need to have the Google app. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. You need to have the Google okay. app, but then on, let's say on Pixel phones, right. And on stock Android, that Google app is already built into, into the stock version of Android. Okay. So again, like in that case, you literally just swipe from your home screen to the site, not where you find more apps, right. That's, that would be the, I guess, left swipe, yes. um, but no, it's the other side and you basically get that feed right there. So on Android, it's much easier to get to it. On iOS, you have to download the Google app and then enter the Google app. And then you're right there, you see that feed. Get the Google app. Okay. So now that we've, we've, we've discovered that Google, is, Google Discover is undiscovered by many content creators, we have Jordan from Inspired by Maps. And, and he said, what is the best practice for Google Discover? How can we create content optimized for it beyond the image size requirement? There seem to be no concrete uh, guidelines. There are no concrete guidelines. There is, we have a single page on Search Central that talks a little bit about Google Discover and, and gives advice. I agree, there's not a lot. And I think some of this has been by design in the past because um, we've been intentionally thinking of Google Discover as an additional traffic source to bloggers, right? Where like search might be your main traffic source, but then Google Discover is an additional traffic source. And the reason why is because it's very hard to predict traffic on Discover, you know, and that's why, and that's because it's personalized. You might like things that I don't like, right? And so we're not seeing the same Discover feed. It's highly personalized. And uh, that also means that as a content creator, unfortunately, you can't expect the same traffic from, let's say, every web story or every article you publish and you get the same traffic from Discover. It's, it's, it's a little bit difficult because we want people to embrace Discover but we also don't want to people. We don't want. We don't want people to rely yet on Discover as the only traffic source or only income source, because that sets people up for failure as well. That being said, I personally would love to write more articles, more help articles about optimizing content for Discover, and and go a little bit more in depth. I don't have anything to announce yet, but this is a problem that we're very aware of, and we're trying to bring you more content. We're, we'll be interested. We'll be watching, and maybe we can have you back in 2022 and hear more about it. Yeah, hopefully, I'll have I have more news then. We'd love that. So, you recently spoke at VidCon in Abu Dhabi on becoming a sustainable creator, and I have to say, I am in love with that term. I think it's a, a fantastic. So, could you tell us what it means to be a sustainable content creator in 2022? You know, one of the things that I you know, maybe one step back here is that I started scripting this talk um, and I talked about independence. I thought, you know, what creators really want is to become more independent. And then I realized that after talking to more and more content creators, that's not necessarily what they want, at least not in the technical sense. You know, nobody wants to recreate social media or recreate the whole stack, right? In the same way that nobody wants to do their own taxes. <laughs> 
creators largely want to do one thing, and that's create. Um, unfortunately, oftentimes life gets in the way. Um, and so you're realizing you need to either create too much, and then it becomes really, really a, um, a chore, right? Or you need to create things that you don't want to create, or you need to look out for content deletions and algorithms that control you and whatever. Right? And so there's always something that stops you from simply being creative. So I shifted from independence to sustainability because I think that's something that we all need to talk about. I've saw, I've seen some recent reports from Bibley and from other studies that showed that more than 70, 80% of creators think that they're burned out. And I think that's really unfortunate. Uh, it depends on which vertical you're in, of course, as well. You know, I was right before I came to Abu Dhabi, I was at Traverse Travel Blogger Conference and it, it, was, it was excellent. But you could really feel like, you know, it was very important for that group to meet again after two years of no travel. And so that vertical in particular was hit really badly, of course. But there are many other reasons for why creators are burned out, for why creators are in a bad state of mind, maybe. Uh, and that's, you know, middleman, for instance, right? Like the fact that uh, you don't own the relationship to your, to your audience and to your fans. That's a big pain point if you're realizing, okay, I have a million followers on some social media app, but then I want to sell an online course and I can't do it. This is more of a wake-up moment, of course, for people who don't have a website yet. So for those of you who already have a website, you understand that very well. The fact that uh, somebody who subscribes to your newsletter or subscribes to your RSS feed is more valuable than a social follower. Sustainability, I think, also relates to stardom, right? Uh, many creators today, I think they need to break out and become a celebrity on the internet. And I, I think that's actually very detrimental to mental health. <laughs> especially for, for young creators and for kids. And I, you know, one of the main points of the talk that I made, I would say, was to, to kind of get rid of that idea and to think about how, to, how do I become part of a creator middle class? How do I do this professionally, right? And not burn out like a, in a very quick way, right? With my friend Nuziah, for, for instance, a while back, and he's like the creator of Nas Daily, big Facebook show. Um, I talked about creator shelf life and he thinks that creator shelf life is five years which is brutal if you think about it right like that's, that's crazy that's that's less than a modeling career so it's true that, less than an olympic think, athlete yeah so i don't think that's great to be honest right and uh and i'm guessing many of you have been blogging for more than five years and that's great right but we need to shift that we need to make sure that content creation is a well-accepted profession that has a sustainable path and so this is what the, the talk really was about. Like, how can we identify what leads to burnout uh, and what leads to, leads to all of these breakdowns and the shelf life of a creator? And then what is the right strategy to implement uh, in order to not to get there? And for me, it was like really three big components. It was uh, instead of focusing on millions of followers, focus on your thousand true fans. So many of you are probably already familiar. I don't know if you're familiar with the thousand true fans strategy. It's a... Uh, it's a really good one where you're thinking of like your audience and your fans differently, right? Your audience are those that follow you on one platform, right? Whether that's your Instagram or your TikTok or your website, but your fans are those that follow you everywhere and don't just follow you for your content, but for you as a person. And so they are the ones that come with you along uh, through your career and the ones that really support you financially. And a thousand true fans are probably all that, that is needed for you to sustain your life. Um, if they're paying you $10, $20 a month uh, or a year, you know, that's great. So that's one. And the other one is uh, passive income. 
And of course, passive income is obviously a big topic with me and mine. Um, and you're all about it. Um, but yep. not every content creator out there who's starting content creation on social media really understands this, right? A lot of them use brand deals as their main income source. And brand deals are great if they work, but they're not passive. You have to actively work for them. And then sure. next week, we have to find a new, another one, right? So uh, it's, it's active income and you can't scale it. So uh, income from ads, affiliate links, affiliate marketing, et cetera, really means that you can scale how you're creating content. And then the third one is going more niche. So um, again, I, I talked about this before, right? With the supply demand gap, right? A lot of times as content creators, we think of, oh, okay, there's this shiny new thing or tentpole event or something happening in industry. I need to pile on. But I, I had an ex example in my talk recently um, of a fan art creator. Fan art, is, I would say, is already sufficiently niche, right? Creating art of, let's say, a media, uh, media property um, as, a, as a fan artist. But then they went even more niche and combined it with Art Nouveau. <laughs> and so you have oh, wow. Art Nouveau. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's really cool, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, Hannah is her name, and she creates Art Nouveau fan art. I put that example out there, and she has a website too, by the way. Um, I put an example out there because nobody in the audience would imagine that that niche could produce any results, right? I mean, it's so, so hyper-niche, right? And two niches combined that you would think, well, you can't possibly build a career out of this. Sure. But it turns out that she has over a thousand patrons that pay for her lifestyle and pay for her profession. I'm about right? to be one of them if you if you post the link to her website. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. And yeah, Hannah Alexander, you should check it out. But yeah, her 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 art is amazing. But that was a really good example for going more niche, um, for really finding your niche. Because if you pick something that millions of people like, um, that's great, right? And you might monetize that way with ads. But then if you pick something that thousands of people love, you might be able to say merge and subscriptions and alternative ways of monetizing this um, that you couldn't before. I think both, both strategies are, of course, very valid, but I encourage content creators to think about them. Well, what you were just saying, you've said so many amazing things that I know that you, you've got a small fan club forming right now of people who love <laughs> you in the comment section of our, of our live right now. Um, uh, thank you so much. Yes, we, we love hearing all of this. I think one of the things that we hear most often about burnout, and you were actually alluding around it, which is, is the whole concept of FOMO, which is there's mm -hmm. that constant fear of missing out and the next best, best thing and the next biggest thing. And this person is doing this and finding success. So I have to go become an expert in TikTok and in um, the different these different platforms and all of the different locations. And I think that, like you said, that the, the crux of the, the matter is that people want to just make good content. They don't want to have to worry about necessarily algorithms or video lighting or all the myriad things, email subscription services. and Yeah. Creators often think they need to jump on every platform and spread themselves too thin. This is very, very common that I've, I've, I'm seeing this very often. And, and yeah, so like actually FOMO is a good way to describe it, right? You'll feel like, okay, there's this new platform. I definitely need to invest, right? Yeah. I don't think that's true. I don't think you need to. And, and especially not if the content that you create isn't well suited for the platform. But if you are creating in-depth articles uh, about some interesting topic, maybe don't become a TikTok dance instructor, right? I mean, like, these are two different professions and, and different types of creators. And the same way, I'm not trying to convince Charlie on TikTok to, you know, who, you know, to become to become like a like a blogger because she would probably not have a good time blogging. 
uh, because because nobody is searching for dance dance articles, I guess, uh, that are long form on the internet. Um, so <laughs> maybe some people are, but I, I I don't think it's the well it's the right suited medium. So yeah, I I have a lot of feelings about that one in particular. I definitely think that content creators are spreading themselves too thin. Vibely in their study that they did recently with 150 micro influencers, they have estimated that even just for like three or four platforms in order to stay relevant, a lot of creators estimate that they need to work for about 70, 71 hours a week. And that just, yep. you know, that's crazy. <laughs> that doesn't sound very sustainable or healthy. So I would definitely encourage every creator to pick that one platform that is most well-suited for the type of content that they're trying to create. Obviously, great if that's your website. I mean, that's that's my hope. Um, but even if not, make sure that you pick your main platform and then use the other ones to funnel more audiences onto your main platform. So for our last question that we had, we asked about what you, I don't know if you saw it, Paul, but we asked about favorite dinner, holiday dinner dish. And we had Valerie Stimmett come in with mince pies quick. And so she was the winner for that one. But also we had so many different answers that now I'm starving and I need people to post their, <laughs> post their recipes if you have them for all the things that you're talking about. And our last question, let me see, did we get a winner for this one, you guys? I'm having trouble locating the winner's thread in here. Can somebody share that? Um, we asked what gingerbread or hot chocolate. Do you have a preference, Paul? Ah, man, that's a hard one because one is drinkable. You know, can we combine them? <laughs> I, I like hot chocolate. Hot I think it's a great yeah. idea. Yes. And some gingerbread along with it. That that would be my preference. I think that's a fantastic uh, suggestion. And we are here. For, does anyone have a recipe for gingerbread hot chocolate? Put it, put that in the comments for Paul. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie Stephanie was quick there, and she said hot chocolate. Stephanie, you're on gray. So thank you for jumping on that. Paul, the other thing I I had to take care of those housekeeping things really quickly, but we had so many comments. Um, when you were talking about sustainability and the, the that we're not in this just for five years or even mm -hmm. 10 years that we're wanting to create something um that that is a lifetime that you're able to keep doing that and that's not something that can happen if you're constantly chasing after the next shiny thing um yeah. and and people are saying it's so appropriate so i i would i would love to hear your thoughts on how a lifestyle blogger who has potentially been blogging for years and has hundreds and hundreds of articles can take your advice and niche down now? Great question. I would say first take a look at, okay, first one is I'm going to do a plug here. We have a video about this on our channel, um, on our YouTube channel, how to find your niche uh, by Keiko, who is uh, a fashion creator and blogger. You know, not only do we give advice from our own, you know, Google employees, but we actually bring in creators to spearhead serious to to make sure that we're not saying the wrong things um so yeah we there's a video on our youtube channel talking exactly how to find your niche but the one the first recommendation i would have is look at you know the comments on your blog look at the people that are the most engaged of your fans and figure out what they engage with the most right so really take a look at not just which of your articles get the most impressions but which are the most engaged with um, and then you will probably realize, okay, this is the type of content uh, that might be more, more interesting to go into as a niche than some of the other ones. Um, so if you already have a blog, that's what I would do. The other really important thing that Keiko talks about as well is 
don't go too niche if you don't think you can maintain that niche for a long time. And a lot of people make the mistake that they realize, okay, I like fidget spinners, right? And then you're like, a year later, realize, actually, I don't like fidget spinners so much that I want to do it for 20 years. And, and you realize, okay, now that, that might not have been a, a good career move. Right? So if you want to go niche, be careful that, uh, that it's something that you actually like or that you actually have liked for a long time, not, a, not just a fad or some trends that you're, that you're piling onto. Um, yeah, there's a lot more advice that Keiko gives in her video that I think is really helpful that I'm not giving in that really quick explanation. But yeah, please check it out. Okay, that is, we are actually going to include that in our handout that we're about ready to send. But this, Paul, this has been so wonderful. I would love if um, if you could give all of our content creators listening just a tip, an action item, and you've already given so much hope, but if you want to give more, we would we would love to take that into 2022. Yeah, of course. So, you know, maybe one thing that I want to want to wrap up with is also sort of a reflection point for me. If you if you are here, you know, the DevRel teams and the outreach teams at Google speak, you know, there's always something new that we're launching, right? And I think that can also be a source of stress. So I want to acknowledge that, right? Uh, I think a lot of you have been stressed by the page experience launch. Sometimes when that happens, it sounds like you need to put all attention on this and you know the world will go down if if you don't that's not the case you know that's you know page experience yes we want you to have fast web web pages don't get me wrong right it is one of many 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 ranking signals you know the most important ranking signal is your content the quality of your content so if you stop everything in order to fix the speed of your website and you don't publish good content for a couple months because you're trying to fix your WordPress theme, not going to help you, not going to help us, not going to help anyone. So I would say, you know, think of your think of your career as a curve, right? That needs interpolation. There's going to be lows and downs, and there's going to be outside signals like, you know, Paul coming around and saying you need to do this and this and this. Um, but in the end, as a content creator, you need to create the best content for your audience. And that's something you really have to stay focused on. If I were the Grinch, my, my heart would have grown three sizes just hearing you say that. We love hearing that content is king and balance in all things, not running from one side to the other, which is so hard to do during the holiday season. All, Paul, that was excellent. Okay, for our four winners, we have Jordan Smith, Jen Powell, Valerie Bailey, and Stephanie Rungray. Please send us a, an email to marketing at mediavine.com so we can get you your prizes. Uh, Paul, this has been so wonderful. Um, you will you come back to us in 2022 and, and talk course. about burnout? Yeah. Will you have me again? Yeah. Will you have a different shirt, a different uh, sweater, or something else? Yeah, fun? good idea. I'll I'll have to think about it, but I will try. We'll give you some um, time. This has been amazing and wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, and everybody, we will be back in 2022 with more great guests from around the content creation industry. I want to wish all of our incredible audience, a safe and happy holiday season. Take care and we will see you in 2022. On Air is brought to you by Mediavine. If you're creating amazing and original content, we are here to help. From ad management with maximum earnings and 24 seven support to cutting edge WordPress plugins, our team has your back. Want free tips in your inbox? 
subscribe to our newsletter at mediavine.com slash subscribe. If you're a Mediavine on air fan, and why wouldn't you be, please give us your five-star rating love and subscribe wherever you're listening. 